and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast by movie nerds for movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your guide here in our journey through the underloved, underrated, and just unknown movies out there that just need a little more love. My movie today, this is going to be a fun one, because this is a movie that's not especially obscure, it's not especially unknown. In fact, this was one of those movies that was all over the place, and just everyone loved it. It was nominated for uh, Best Pictures, nominated for Oscars, and won all these awards, and it was like the talk of the town for a couple of years, and then it just kind of plummeted. It just kind of, it's not really part of the uh, cultural zeitgeist anymore. And it's one of these movies I want to bring back into the zeitgeist, and I'm really hoping I'm pronouncing that word right, because that's not a word I use very often. <laughs> um, so, the movie we're talking about today is 2006's Little Miss Sunshine, one of absolutely the best movies I have ever seen, one of the most audience-friendly, populist movies I can think of, that just, when people watch this movie, they go crazy for it, and we will get into that. And, and my guest here today is, uh, let's see, she is an accountant, she is a... Uh, Movie fan, does a lot of work in uh, in the past with Oscar picks and Oscar nominations and just was really, really um, insistent that she wanted to talk about this movie. This is her movie, and I'm very excited to have someone who loves it as much as I do. Please welcome to the show, Emily Malakoff. <laughs> hey there, Mario. Hey, everybody. And did I pronounce your name correctly? No. No. How is it pronounced? Malakoff. <laughs> Okay, Malakoff. Emily Malakoff, welcome to the show, and let's talk about the Hoover family. Oh, boy. Let's talk about them. <laughs> okay, um, before we dive into this movie, again, I'm assuming this is one that a lot of my listeners know. This is a movie, that, an episode that a lot of people have said they've been looking forward to. Give us a little backstory. Who are you? What's your story? What's the resonance with Little Miss Sunshine? Why were you so insistent that you had to be the co-host on this episode? Man, this was... A really, this is one of the first like independent movies that I saw when I was younger, and when I do the Oscar picks every year, this was the first year that I really got like passionate about it. I didn't go like, oh, this is the the most probable winner. This is the one that's gonna get it. This is the Oscar bait. I was like, this is the best movie of the year. I watched it. I loved it. This is just purely the best movie of the year. And I picked it for all four awards it was nominated for, and then it actually won two of them, and that just stunned me. And it just... This movie has always stuck with me in a way that very few movies can, just because of the nuclear family aspect of it, I think. Yeah, there's just so many things to talk about when it comes to this movie. And again, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm preaching to the choir to you and anybody who's listening that already loves this movie, but... This is one of those movies I can watch over and over. I try to watch it at least once every year or so or two years, and it always works, and it's just so fantastic. And I'm just going to talk about the elephant in the room right away, that this movie has one of the greatest endings in a movie ever. And I'm like, to the point that I'm legitimately jealous when I meet someone who has never seen Little Miss Sunshine before, and they're about to watch it for the first time. Like, I'm literally jealous that they're going to get to experience this awesome ending, and it'll catch them off guard. And I'm, that's, that's the one thing I want to get through to people right off the top of the show here, that this is one of those episodes, please watch the movie before we talk about it. I don't want to be the person who spoils it for you, and I know Emily probably feels the same way. Absolutely. Like, it definitely doesn't go quite where you think. 
Yeah, this is one of those movies when you think it's going to zig, it zags, and it's one you can never predict. There's, I've never met one person who predicts the ending to this movie, and it just comes out of nowhere and just absolutely is one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen in a uh, in a movie. Very excited to talk about this one. Although, Emily, I do have one question for you before we begin. Hit me with it, Mario. Are you a winner? Because we only have winners on the podcast here, Emily. <laughs> Uh, I think by Richard Hoover's standards, I am, in fact, a loser. <laughs> now, why? Let's get into that. Why? Is it because you use sarcasm to bring down the winners around you? Why would that be? <laughs> you know, there, there might be a little hint of that <laughs> going on. Well, I mean, to be fair, by Richard Hoover's standards, we are all losers. So <laughs> I, I think I am in the same boat as you. <laughs> All right, so let's delve into this movie, because there is a lot to talk about here. Um, anything else you wanted to mention before we dive into this uh, just wonderful little indie hit, Little Miss Sunshine? Anything else you wanted to say before we get going? No, I think most of the stuff I have to say is like about the movie itself and better to flow through it. Okay, perfect. Here we go. We're going to walk through this. Little Miss Sunshine, one of the most entertaining movies I have ever seen, to the point that I, my wife I even asked me today. She's like, oh, what uh, movie are you doing on Staff Picks tonight? And I said, Little Miss Sunshine. And she's like, I can't believe you watched that without me. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've angered my wife on this one because I watched it in secret and didn't let her know that it was, there was a viewing of it. So I will probably pay for that later. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, so again, this movie, Little Miss Sunshine, came out in 2006. It was a surprise hit. It's an indie film. It was nominated for Best Picture, I think Best Screenplay, a bunch of other awards. It didn't win Best Picture, but it was like the movie that everyone was talking about that year. It was like, wow, did you see Little Miss Sunshine? It kind of came out of nowhere. It made everybody happy. And it specifically is the, the launching pad for a couple of great acting performances here. I'm I'm curious, Emily, out of all the actors in this movie, who do you think gave the best job? Because this is a, a topic I've brought up with other people before. Oh, who's the big star in uh, Little Miss Sunshine? Who gives the best performance? And it's funny because people tend to give different answers to that. Yeah, I feel like there's arguments to be made for almost everybody in the main cast just mm -hmm. off of that. I think the only person you can't really make that argument for is Toni Collette. And that's just because she doesn't have as much to work with. Like, I honestly still would say Abigail Breslin, just because she has a lot of responsibility for, like, a 8-year-old or a 10-year-old. I don't remember exactly how old she was when this was shot. But though she carries a lot of emotions in scenes in ways that, like, child actors aren't really supposed to. And that's why she got, like, a nomination. I think she's the youngest one to be nominated for Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars. If not the youngest, she's definitely one of the youngest for sure. I believe she's the youngest because I was disappointed she didn't win because then she would have been the youngest winner. <laughs> yeah, okay, for people who don't know it, yeah, the, the, there's lots of standout performances in this movie. Greg Kinnear does a great job as the dad. Uh, like you said, Toni Collette, it's, it's one of those things, she's such a good actress, you don't even realize she's doing such a good job. Like it's, I, I, again, she's not the big standout one because she's not the flashiest one in the cast, but she does a fantastic job again in, and she's Australian and she's doing this American accent. You don't even realize that's not her native accent. And then you got Steve Carell in here doing his, really his first dramatic role, I believe. And you got, uh, Alan Arkin. Was it Alan or Adam? Alan. Yeah, Alan Arkin, who won, I think, Best Supporting Actor for this movie. 
Yep. Yeah, you got Paul Dano, who is just one of these amazing young actors and doing a great job here. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Abigail Breslin, the young girl in this movie. And we will be talking, I can guarantee about 75% of this podcast will be about Abigail Breslin, about how awesome she is. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Okay, so the story of this movie, it's really just a family road trip movie, and it's uh, its like the road trip from hell. It's kind of like National Lampoon's Vacation. It's kind of like, I'm trying to think of other movies it would be like, where it's just the family stuck on their road trip from hell together. And uh, let's start at the start of the movie here. Do you want to introduce us to all the characters in the movie here? Well, I, I want to say something about the start of the movie here, too, real quick. Okay. They have, there's, there's little scenes of all of the characters you see Olive watching her uh, beauty pageant stuff so she can train to react when she wins. Mm-hmm. You see uh, Paul Dane. You see, I should probably start using character names, huh? <laughs> yeah. You see uh, Dwayne working out so that he can do a good job, go to flight school. You, you see Grandpa starting to just snort heroin in the bathroom. <laughs> And you see Richard giving a presentation that appears to be done at, like, a high school (laughs) with six people in the audience or something. And then uh, Cheryl on her way to the hospital. And Frank is the last one who pops up on screen having attempted suicide. And it's kind of a dark place for a movie to start. (laughs) But what's, what's really interesting to me about this opening sequence here is that of the characters on screen... You don't hear anybody but Richard and Cheryl speak for like eight and a half minutes or something. They're the only ones who get to say anything until Frank finally talks. Okay, just a quick overview here for people who might not know this movie. I just, uh, I know uh, Emily was throwing out some uh, character names, but yeah, it's basically the dysfunctional family from hell. They're just this, the Hoover family from Albuquerque, New Mexico. The dad is a self-help guru. He runs a nine-step program. The mom is just this harried housewife running around trying to keep all the family together. They have a grandpa that lives with them who snorts heroin for some reason and was recently kicked out of a nursing home. They have a adolescent son who's trying out for the Air Force, and they have a uh, daughter, and she is going to be the star of this movie, Olive, and she, all she wants to do is be in a beauty pageant, and like uh, Emily said, at the start of the movie, the, the very first shot is Olive watching TV, watching like a Miss America pageant, and she's just watching them and copying them. She's like literally doing the motion she's going to do when she wins the beauty pageant, and you can just see it in her eyes, the way the shot is framed, you just see it in her glasses, the TV reflecting off it, that... This is like a big deal. This is all she wants to do is be this future beauty queen. And this will be the crux of the movie. The whole family will be going on a road trip for Olive's little appearance in the Little Miss Sunshine beauty pageant. And I I think I I will be very diplomatic here and explain, say that if you've never seen this before, Olive is perhaps not the stereotypical beauty queen. (laughs) She's kind of kind of shaped like a bowling pin, I would say. She uh, like... uh... One of the things of this movie is that uh, Abigail Breslin, in most of the shots of this movie, or at least definitely the later in the movie when she's wearing her bathing suit, they have a little fat suit on her because she was not heavy enough for what they wanted in the part. Yeah, and that's what we want to get across to people who are just hearing about this movie for the first time. It's this little girl 
she's kind of awkward and she wears these giant glasses again she's shaped like a bowling pin very bottom heavy because they have her in a fat suit in real life and she wears these dorky headbands and wristbands and right from the start they're talking about how she wants to be a beauty queen and you can see that's probably not going to happen but that is the joy of this movie is watching her uh her trajectory as she goes to her first beauty pageant yeah, well, no, the, technically it's her it's her second one, I think, because what happened before the movie is that she was during uh, spring break, she went and visited her aunt and her aunt entered her into like some local beauty pageant to qualify her for a bigger one. And she ended up coming in second place. And that was like the first time she had really been like, wow, this is really great. So like the whole beauty pageant thing is like a recent like two months or so. She's like, this is really what I want right now. And her grandpa definitely goes with it. Yeah, so Abigail or little Abigail Breslin, little Olive, is super close to her grandfather, played by Alan Arkin, and they are the closest relationship, probably the only real non-dysfunctional relationship. Although I guess one could argue maybe it's somewhat dysfunctional <laughs> once we get to the end. But, but yeah, they're the only really close relationship in the movie. And the grandfather's forever working with Olive and trying to train her and teach her what the move should be for the pageant, and and that'll be one of the great delights in this movie that we never see what he's actually teaching her until the very end, and that's the, one of the great payoffs. But I was going to say, the pageant that Olive was in before she qualified for Little Miss Sunshine, did you catch the name? It's it's this goofy name. Oh, gosh. I Wow, I, I remember hearing it, but I cannot get it out of my out of my head. Tell me, Mario. Okay, here we go. Here is our trivia for the day. The pageant that Olive was entered in in Albuquerque for the first one was called Little Miss Chili Pepper. Right. <laughs> So, so she somehow qualified in Little Miss Chili Pepper that apparently the competition was not that stiff that she got second place. And now she is qualified maybe to go to this one in Redondo Beach, California called Little Miss Sunshine. So that is the movie in a nutshell that Olive is a, the second place runner up to go to this Little Miss Sunshine. And before we can go to that, we're going to go through a whole lot of shit here as this family hates one another. Yeah, it's really apparent after a little while that like... Olive is the one that they all like, mm -hmm. except maybe Richard. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Apparently, like, he was originally written to be, like, her stepfather and, like, to have married into the family. And I guess, like, the little touches of that never really got out of the script because he does not really stick up for Olive all that much in this movie at all. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, the dad in this movie, Greg Kinnear, plays this guy, Richard Hoover. He's, a, again, self-help guru. He's come up with this nine-step program. He's forever trying to market to people. It's clear he really has nothing else going for him in life. And, again, not to, you know, put too fine a point on it, he's kind of a dick in this movie. <laughs> like, he's just a jerk to people, and you don't really like him. And that's that's kind of the running thread in this whole movie. You don't really like any of these characters. They're all kind of just jerks at times to one another and just in general but as the movie goes along they'll all start to pull together and realize they're a family and they have to support olive but yeah olive is like the calm the uh calm at the center of the storm here the one kind of constant that's not really in chaos like everybody else all she wants to do is go to her beauty pageant and be a beauty queen and around her is everything is just swirling all this chaos and you got uh the uncle frank this is uh steve carell's character 
is like some some Proust scholar at a college, and he recently was dumped by his boyfriend, and he tried to kill himself, so they have to bring him into the house. So, in spite of all this dysfunction, all the other families not family members not liking each other, now you have Frank, who's a suicide risk, and they have to watch. And yeah, it's just a, a whole mess. It's just Olive is just blithely just wandering around trying to prepare for her beauty pageant, and everything is just chaos around her. Yeah, there's a really there's a lot of great scenes with Frank and them in this movie, but like they're right after they've had this whole talk and decided, oh, okay, well, we can't leave anyone behind, so we're all going to pile into the VW bus and drive like 800 miles to get to this uh, beauty pageant for Olive. Frank is sharing a room with Dwayne because he can't be left at home, at, he can't be left alone at night, and... Dwayne, who does not talk, he's taken a vow of silence until he becomes a military pilot, just writes, he communicates by writing on a notepad, and before bed, he just writes on a notepad, turns it around, shows it to Frank, it just says, please don't kill yourself tonight. And he doesn't say it, but you can just imagine the just exasperated voice, just don't, come on. Yeah, yeah, let's explain that to, to people who haven't, uh, I guess I kind of skipped over that. They, not only is this family dysfunctional and they just have all these weird quirks and don't get along, but the son is so affected by this world around him that he hates and he hates all his family members that he has taken a vow of silence in tribute to Nietzsche, I believe. Friedrich Nietzsche. <laughs> Yeah, you must suffer in life to get the goals you want. So the son not only does not get along with his family, he's literally taking a nine-month vow of silence until he can get out of here and join the Air Force. So he's tasked with watching his Uncle Frank so Uncle Frank won't kill himself. And it's just a mess. And as the movie starts, it's like in the first five minutes, like Emily said, we meet all the characters, a great little introduction to everybody. And then we go right into this dinner scene where they're eating fried chicken. And it's it's this wonderful scene about ten minutes long where... Within 10 minutes, you understand every little bit of weird dynamic and dysfunction in this family and all their history, where they're just bickering over the chicken, and the grandpa comes out, who the fuck bought chicken? It's chicken every fucking night. Like, it's just, you can just see the dysfunction as they're just screaming at each other over dinner. It's just a wonderful scene, and I think it's one of the more underrated scenes in this movie. Yeah, it's a real, it, it's definitely, it's a really good characterization for everybody, especially especially Edwin, who comes out and just fuck is every other word and chicken is every other other word. So, uh, But then even even throughout the whole dinner scene, just all of the little things, like the fact that after dinner, Cheryl goes to the freezer and just grabs a box of popsicles and that's dessert. <laughs> There's a salad and Richard cleaning up scrapes half of it into the sink and then just drops the bowl in the sink because he doesn't care there's a whole lot of little things that all the characters do in that scene but i guess the really big one is that uh all the questions what happened to frank and frank has to explain it to her and cheryl is all for her you know learning about this and richard is absolutely against it like the that's the first real that's the first real conflict between Richard and Cheryl is just whether or not Frank should tell his story to Olive. 
Yeah, little Olive is just curious. Why did my Uncle Frank want to kill himself? And it's a perfectly natural question. And just through this whole discussion of Frank trying to explain, well, I was very sad, and my lover left me, and I was fired, and I I was overtaken by the number two Proust scholar in the U.S. <laughs> but it, as he's explaining a story, we just see the dad and the mom fighting over where all, whether Olive should be hearing this, whether it's appropriate, whether Frank should even be here in the first place. So yeah, you just you see such wonderful dynamics in this family. My favorite part of the scene is uh, just the little things that the dad is always, the dad has come up, Richard has come up with his nine-step program, and anything that somebody says, he will try to horn into how it fits into his nine-step program, and you can just see in everybody else's eyes how tired they are of hearing this about this shit. Yeah, it seems like they have heard it just for years at this point. Everybody looks just so done with him. Yeah, yeah, he's just going on and on. Well, these nine steps, and this is how we breed winners. Winners is what you want in life. You don't want to be a loser. And then at one point, the son, that his teenage son, is taking a vow of silence. And the dad, the dad even worked. I love this. He just finds a way to work it in. He's like, well, you know, the vow of silence, that is the nine steps. And he's working it in. And then the son just shoots him a look like, F you, dad. Yeah, I think the direct I think the direct quote is he's like, oh, he Dwayne is utilizing at least seven of the nine steps on his personal quest to self-fulfillment. And that sentence would just annoy the fuck out of me, like just by itself the first time. And it's just, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And the dad just goes on and on about winners. You must be a winner. I, I produce winners. We only have winners in this family. We don't have losers. And at one point, something about luck comes up and, and he's got a little thing in there that it's part of his nine step program where he says, uh, you know, luck is the name that losers give to their own failings. <laughs> and so he, he just want to punch this guy, this dad. He's just such an asshole. Yeah. And. But we do get some news here in the middle of this this wonderful chicken dinner scene where everybody hates each other, where apparently there's a message on the voicemail that, you know, Olive finished second in this Little Miss Chili Pepper contest, but the winner had to drop out. The winner will not get to go to Little Miss Sunshine, the big pageant out in California. So it looks like Olive is going to go there as a default. She will represent New Mexico or whatever in this pageant. And so it's this big deal. And, uh, and so Olive hears this and her eyes just get wide. Again, she's the only one with any hope or like or like uh, enthusiasm in this family she hears I'm going to go compete in Little Miss Sunshine and she lets out like the most piercing scream you've ever heard in a movie oh god that scream <laughs> it's it's so loud but it's absolutely perfect for everything because so much of the movie just depends on you want Olive to succeed and so much of it depends on she the sheer excitement you see there yeah it's just pure joy and such a wonderful acting job that Abigail Breslin does in this movie. And this is one of these moments where you just see it in her eyes, how important this is to her. And again, you know, she's not going to do well in this pageant because she doesn't look like a little beauty queen. But she's so excited and you want to root for her. So it turns out that there's a little Miss Sunshine pageant out in Redondo Beach, California. It's about from Albuquerque. I'm trying to just uh, you're not from the West Coast, right? No, I've been there like twice. No, I've been there once. It'll be twice this weekend. Okay, well, there you go. See, winners go to the West Coast twice. So <laughs> good choice. But, uh, but yeah, so um, it's uh, from Redondo Beach to Phoenix, it would be about eight hours. And to Albuquerque, it's probably another six to eight hours. So it's about a 16-hour drive from Albuquerque to Redondo. And so the, vo the message on the machine says, well, it's this Sunday. You have like three days to get here or two days to get here. So... 
all of a sudden becomes very hectic that all these dysfunctional people that hate each other and with all these problems and issues are going to be crammed into a VW bus and they're going to drive to the West Coast. They don't have the money to fly. They uh, Their budget is real strained because Richard's nine-step program surprisingly is not taking off. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so they all have to get in the VW bus and Uncle Frank, of course, the one who tried to kill himself, he's not allowed to be left at home because he's a suicide risk, so he has to come. So the teenage son has to come. So they're all piled into this old, like, 1970s microbus. And here we go. We're driving to California. And from here on out, hilarity will ensue. I just want to go back one one thing for a second here, Mario. You had the name of the pageant that Olive competed in. Do you remember what... Uh, her aunt says why her aunt says the first place winner had to give up her crown. Yeah, why the first place person was disqualified. It was something like diet pills or something. Yeah, <laughs> diet pills. Yeah. We have a 10-year-old beauty pageant scandal that someone was on diet pills and they had to cancel the uh, invitation. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, And again, this will not be the worst thing we see about childhood beauty pageants throughout this movie. So hunker down. We're going to have some fun with this little world. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> okay, so so they're getting ready to leave for the beauty pageant in, in California, and the dad, of course, Mr. I Only Raise Winners, pulls Olive aside. There's a great little moment here where he has with his daughter where this, this asshole's like, uh, you know, Olive, we're only going to go if you think you can win. Can you win? Can you win this pageant? And Olive's like, yes. It's like, all right, off we go, and here we go. It's a road trip movie. <laughs> It's a road trip movie, and then, oh God, I don't even remember the first thing that happens here. <laughs> I could I could give you a hint of what the first thing that happens is. It involves the grandpa saying a lot of f words to his grandson. Uh, well, well, yeah, that there's that scene, <laughs> and uh, like there's that scene where Edwin's advice to Dwayne is literally could could be distilled down to have a lot of sex while you're young. <laughs> yes. But there's the, and there's a great part where Olive is just sitting in the middle seat, bouncing her head to the music on her headphones, and he, Grandpa, just to prove that she can't hear, screams, I'll give you a million dollars if you turn around right now. <laughs> and apparently, they just gave Abigail Breslin a bunch of Kelly Clarkson CDs and told her to play them really loudly, so she actually didn't hear anything that was going on in that scene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anybody who knows this movie knows what scene we're talking about. People who haven't, it's the grandfather, Alan Arkin, again, the guy that won the best supporting actor for this movie, just cursing in the back seat, just F-word this, F-word that, telling his grandson, F as many women as you can, F them all. If I was your age, I'd be getting that young, sweet stuff, F everything. And so in real life, they didn't want Abigail Breslin to hear this. And if you watch the movie, you can see she's got headphones on. So they literally... Yeah, like you said, piped Kelly Clarkson music so she couldn't hear any of this. So I remember reading that somewhere that the first time she under she knew what the other actors were saying was when she watched the movie because she never actually heard it in person. Yep. Okay, yeah, so Grandpa's just doling out life advice to everybody, just F this, F that. And, and I, I've actually read reviews of this movie where people said, well, I rented this movie for my little girl thinking it would be about little girls and beauty pageants. And this is oh, no. yeah, this is the scene that probably made them turn off the TV. There's a lot of f words going on here. Wow, I <laughs> I cannot imagine that experience. <laughs> For several reasons, I I do not think this movie is probably popular with the childhood beauty pageant crowd. <laughs> Which is weird, considering you know 
a bunch of actual pageant girls show up at the end instead of any extras, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Okay. So the Hoovers are on their road trip and they're just, grandpa's just angering everybody and the grandfather and the dad get in a fight and then the grandfather starts uh, telling everyone why he uses heroin. That's why he got kicked out of a nursing home. Also, he points out that he effed every woman in the nursing home. So grandpa, grandpa's a bit of a character. <laughs> And the heroin subplot will come in handy later, where he's even saying here, like, you're crazy if you don't, if you use heroin when you're young, but you're crazy if you don't use it when you're old. It's the greatest thing ever. He is, uh, he's very much in the, I need to just get as much pleasure as I can out of this life while I'm still alive mode. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Live life while you can. That's grandpa's motto. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and keep in mind, again, Grandpa's the one who's teaching Olive all her her uh, talent competition stuff for the beauty pageant. And again, this will come in handy later. You kind of forget it as the movie's going on, but Grandpa is the brains behind the pageant performance here. So this will become have a very big payoff later in the movie. Yeah, I think uh, after that scene is when they stop for the first time. That's when they go to the diner, right? Yeah, the pancake That's the house. diner scene. Yeah, this is a tough one to watch. I'll let you walk through this one, but this is this is a tough one to watch, and this is why where the movie starts leading you in one direction, and this is why the ending is so powerful, because they're going to start moving you in a direction you think it's going in, but it's going to s- swerve on you later. So well, what happens at the pancake scene here? In the diner, uh, you can see another hint of just there. They do really do not have that much money, because I think uh, uh, Cheryl gives Olive a total of, like, don't go over $4 for breakfast or something. And then Olive, uh, you know, questions her choices, stammers because she's like an eight-year-old, and then eventually orders uh, waffles a la modi. She asks what it means, and the waitress is like, oh, it's ice cream. And she's like, yes, absolutely. And Cheryl's like, okay, you're right. I I didn't tell you couldn't do that. And Richard just starts needling her. It's like, oh, well, you see those girls in pageants. Are they fat? No. Well, there's a lot of fat in ice cream. And it's just disgusting, frankly. Yeah. That it's... And then her ice cream gets to the table and Edwin, Frank, and Dwayne all start eating it and raving about how good it is, or in Dwayne's case, just making really satisfied faces next to her. And eventually she's like, no, wait, don't eat it all. She grabs it, and then Richard starts talking again, and Cheryl shuts him up. Yeah, this is a tough one because, as uh, Emily's explaining, it's a the dad really just guilt-tripping his little girl about not eating sweets because she's going to get fat, and he's kind of hinting, you know, you, you're kind of fat to start with, so you might not want any more ice cream. And you can just kind of see the joy getting sucked out of her eyes because the dad, you know, theoretically probably does this all the time. You can kind of sense he's always kind of on her about her weight because, again, she's not this perfect little stick figure. So it's a tough one to watch when the dad is the... First, the dad says something about where uh, Olive apologizes to the waitress because she doesn't know what a la mode means. And, and the dad's like, don't apologize, Olive. It's a sign of weakness. Yeah, um, no. <laughs> yeah. So he just starts fat shaming his little girl and, and she decides she doesn't want the ice cream after all. And yeah, he gives this really horrible speech. He's like, you know, those beauty pageant girls, are they skinny or are they fat? And you know, if you eat ice cream, you're going to get fat. And I'm not sure that you want to be like that. So it's a tough scene to watch and you can just kind of see all the joy getting sucked out of her eyes. And you can see he does this to her all the time. He kind of needles her. 
and then the ice cream comes, and like Emily said, all the, the rest of the family starts eating and digging into the ice cream, trying to make Olive feel better about herself, and she eventually eats the ice cream, but you can see it, it kind of sticks in the back of her head that, you know, maybe maybe I shouldn't be eating this. I need to be perfect like these, like these other girls, and I don't want to be a loser like Dad says. So there's a lot of baggage kind of hanging over Olive, and uh, yeah, that's a tough scene to get through the first time. There's another interesting thing there, like, yeah, Richard is fat shaming her and it's it's bad but when cheryl tries to reassure her she doesn't go oh don't worry olive you know it's just ice cream it's not going to make you fat her response is don't worry if you want to be skinny that's okay if you want to be fat that's okay which is not reassuring for like an eight-year-old who's just told ice cream will make them fat Mm -hmm. it's just she's trying to be supportive but you can see that she just doesn't really get it either sometimes and that's kind of important i think in this movie yeah i agree olive doesn't really have any role models other than her grandfather that's that's the one thing that comes through time and time again that the only person she can even talk to that even tries to be kind to her is her grandfather i would slightly disagree with that i do think Dwayne is kind to her but it's not really a thing that is important to the story at this point there's there's no real tension between them at any point in the movie i don't think no there isn't but it's just the i mean it's not spelled out in the movie but the he's probably seven eight years older than her oh yeah so it's just one of these things there's no when the kids are that far apart they don't really have a relationship they're like he's almost like her dad so in a way it's like they just don't really they probably never really bonded like he's not mean to her but he doesn't really relate to her on any level huh that's weird like like i would i would honestly disagree with that i've my younger sister is about seven years younger than me so that's just like when i when i look at maybe that's just the thing that when i look at that relationship i'm like oh i can see him supporting her i can see that they are close in a way that you know as close as siblings that far apart in age can be okay maybe that's just my personal view on the thing do you let your sister eat ice cream i do let my sister eat ice cream (laughs) okay did you give her the speech about what it will do if she keeps eating it no, I did not. <laughs> it's very important, remember. Uh, I'll, I'll take it up with her next time we meet. <laughs> well, you know, Emily, sarcasm is losers trying to bring winners down to their level, so I think you're being sarcastic with me. Mario, would I do that? <laughs> okay, so we had the, the scene where the ice cream, the big ice cream debate over where Olive should be, whether she should be doing that, and now we have... Uh, the first big downfall in the uh, trip where the clutch in their VW bus breaks. And it's the dad and the mom are fighting over the clutch one day and they can't get it to work. And they go to a mechanic and he says, well, you know, it's broken. You need a new clutch. But, you know, they have to be in California in two days. So there's no way that they're going to get the part in time. So he says, well, the neat thing about these old VW buses is you can actually go. You can actually start the car and go from third to fourth and you don't need the clutch. You only need it from first to second. And that is a true thing. I don't know. You're you're much younger than me. Young people tend not to drive stick shifts. <laughs> I know how to drive stick, but I do not drive stick right now. Okay, <laughs> but that is a thing with these old cars that if you get the car moving and then you you know turn it on and pop the clutch, you can actually get it to go. So it's it it was it is a real thing, and so we get many comic moments in this movie of the Hoovers. In order to start their van, once the once the clutch goes out, they must run or either park on a hill and let it roll down the hill, or they must push it up to like third gear and everybody jumps in when he starts the ignition. So it's, that'll be the, that's one of the things that people tend to remember about this movie is the the van breaking down and everyone has to push it to get it started, and it will it will see it a lot in the next hour. Yeah, it's 
it's one of the things that you get brought back to because that's one of the first times the movie that's one of the first times the family actually has a goal that they all like an immediate goal that they all have to work together to accomplish even if it's just as simple as that it's still like one thing that they've actually done together it's maybe the first thing that you see them all collaborate on all movie yeah, it's really the first time they've bonded over anything. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, just the family is finally, I mean, they just don't get along. They just are in way too close. They're in each other's space and they just do not get along. But oh, okay, there's some little moments here where we have to push the van to get it started and you can kind of see the tension breaking, the ice breaking a little bit. Although it's not going to last very long. We get endless scenes here of the people fighting in the car, especially uh, Frank and the dad where they just kind of bicker at each other. And then... Uh, <laughs> This is where all the sarcasm. Where, where <laughs> there's a great, the great thing here where where uh, Frank is just uh, Steve Carell is just uh, trolling Greg Kinnear in the front seat of the car about his nine step program, and Kinnear catches on. He's like, "Well, you know, sarcasm is the refuge of losers," and Carell's like, "It is really." <laughs> just a, if you've ever seen a good troll at work, that's how trolls work right there, and they they just get in a little bickering match, and then um. There's like an unseen character in this movie, the one guy that always comes up, and I have to laugh about this, Stan Grossman. Oh, God, Stan Grossman. Yeah. Throughout the movie, the dad, Richard, is always trying to peddle his nine steps deal. He's apparently working on a book and a series of videotapes that he's going to sell and market these to people. And his agent is a guy named Stan Grossman. And he's forever calling Stan on the phone or waiting for a call from Stan to see if the book deal is going to happen. And so just throughout the series of, of scenes here in the middle where it's, you just see the dad frustrated because he can't reach Stan. And it's, uh, yeah, it's... Stan is one of my one of the best unseen characters in movie history. You don't see him until later. I don't think he counts as unseen then, Mario. Well, that's sarcasm again. You're being a loser again. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I screwed up that sentence, right? Uh, like 80% of the way into it, I'm like, oh, this isn't going to work out. I, I blew this one. Mm, flat tire. Although, although, did you do you know the Stan Grossman connection? Because that's a famous character from another movie that I love. Isn't it uh, Fargo? Fargo, yeah. It's... If people who know the movie Fargo, there's this character Stan Grossman. He's like uh, the right hand man to Wade uh, Gustafson. Uh, is it Gustafson? It's Wade, the the rich guy. His right hand man is Stan Grossman, and they're always going to Stan Grossman for advice. So I don't know if it was just a coincidence that we have the the wise old man being Stan Grossman in this movie too. But it just always made me laugh when I heard it. I'm pretty sure they've said that it's not a coincidence. Like that's an intentional thing. <laughs> but I get. I like. I don't. I cannot 100% specify on this one. <laughs> okay. But yeah, that's your your wonderful connection. And Fargo is one of those movies I always laugh at, too. And the Stan Grossman thing is just one of these things where they're always forever, oh, let's go to Stan for advice. Go to Stan. And at one point, Stan Grossman agrees with Jerry Lundegaard in the movie. And it's like the greatest moment in Jerry's life because Stan Grossman agreed with him. So that's <laughs> kind of the tie in here. So this is the point in the movie where, you know, they're starting to go. They're getting close to... Uh, California they're probably in Arizona by this point and this is where the dad gets the call from Stan Stan Grossman that his book deal is a no-go it's not going to happen all this money we've put into it, all this work it's not going to happen nobody cares about your fight your nine-step program and this is it crushes the dad's world so Greg Kinnear absolutely ruined at this point and now we get another big bickering match with him and the uh and the mom they just started fighting over you know whether they whether you, whether you should have started this nine-step program whether you shouldn't have and this is where we get a one of the funniest scenes in the movie the mini mart scene 
Yeah, I think the mini mart. I, th- he gets the call on the highway. He loses reception. They stop at the mini mart so he can use the payphone. And so while Richard's on the phone with with Stan Grossman again, y- you get Frank who's gonna go. Oh, I, I just want a drink. Do you want anything? And Edwin's like, Yeah, get me porn. <laughs> yeah, Grandpa sends Steve Carell in to buy porn for him. He says, get yourself a treat to a fag rag. And it's like, well, he's trying or something. I don't really know what to say about that one. But <laughs> well, he's being generous. He gave him the money. He, he, in his own way, he's being very polite. <laughs> and then uh, Frank goes in and who else happens to pop up but his ex. That was part of the reason he tried to kill himself. And so after he's picked out all these magazines, he turns around and sees his old student, his ex-boyfriend, and they just have a wonderfully awkward conversation. And he learns that uh, his rival, uh, Larry Sugarman, is right outside getting gas right now. And he's just like, oh, God, everything is here. But while that's going on, the the uh, cashier's ringing up the porn and the slushy that he got for himself. And, of course, the his ex ends up seeing the porn and just sort of, uh, to put it lightly, flees the scene <laughs> and goes to tell Larry. Larry and them turn around to see him and Steve Carell ducks behind the candy to try and hide. And then he ends up, you know, walking back out of there with the porn and the slushy tosses it into Edwin's lap and is just like, oh god, he's so in his own head at that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great scene. Steve Carell, one of the preeminent English literature scholars in America, trapped at the counter buying porn. Not only porn, he's got like <laughs> straight porn and gay porn, plus a slushy, which is probably not the the ideal combination for one of the preeminent Proust scholars in the Amer- America. And he gets yeah cornered by his boyfriend. It's just a wonderful scene of him trying to hide his copy of Buns and Ammo from his literary rival. <laughs> oh, oh, God, no Buns and Ammo comes up later, Mario. You're too early for that one. <laughs> well, you see it. I mean, you see it on the shelf. But yeah, Buns and Ammo... <laughs> That's what I love about this movie, that this copy of this uh, gay porn magazine, Buns and Ammo, will become important to the storyline later. I appreciate that here. Yeah, it's it's a really great... It's a, it, This movie is really great. It's just pu- pulling something out that just seems like a minor part of a scene and bringing it back as a bigger part of a scene later on. <laughs> okay, here's one of my favorite low-key jokes in this movie. And again, this movie, it's... I mean, it's theoretically a comedy. It's very funny. It's but it's very dramatic at times. It's got it goes it it goes peaks and valleys between drama and comedy. It's really well done. But there's a great laugh here where we get through the mini mart scene and the dad and the mom have been fighting and screaming at each other and every, you know tensions are at an all time high of everybody in the van and they get in there and I always love because to start the car they have to park on a hill. They can't just start like a normal car. So it's the scene of the mom and the dad sitting in the front seat of the passenger car, and they have to do an angry roll as the car rolls slowly down up to ignition speed. And they're just sitting there in an angry roll and just not talking to each other. Just a funny little visual reference. He clearly just wants to gun it, but he (laughs) can't. It's just he's just stuck. And they're so involved in their. They're so they're all wrapped up in their own heads. You know, uh, Cheryl and Richard are worrying about the the deal that is off now, and Frank is 
I don't even want to touch that one. Frank has <laughs> a lot of things in his head. Edwin's thinking about the deal too. And then about, you know, you know, a little while later they're on the road and uh Dwayne writes something, shows it to Frank, Frank reads it out loud and it just says, Where's Olive? <laughs> yes. It turns out they just left Olive at the mini mart. She went off to practice her routine and everyone forgot about her. Yeah, and that's basically the story of the movie. Everyone's so wrapped up in their own issues, they completely forget their little little girl to mini mart and they drive off without her. They have to go back and pick her up. And again, this will come in handy later because that's literally what happens at the end of this movie, what makes it so awesome that everybody's been so wrapped up in their issues and their problems and their fights no one has any clue what Olive's talent competition performance actually is. They've never actually seen it before, which you'd think a parent would know that kind of thing. But that's what makes this movie so awesome, that nobody has any idea what's going on in Olive's world, even though this trip is for Olive. And that's what makes it so fun. Yeah, you can see that, like... Uh, Cheryl clearly works some high-stress job. She's, you know, there's there's a couple of mentions of her bringing, you know, in the cash for the family, and Richard is just trying to get the nine steps sold still mm-hmm. and not getting any money from it. And since they're both preoccupied, they've just been like, oh, Grandpa's got it. He, he's got Olive. And so they just never really think about her all that much. She, like, Cheryl doesn't come home and cook dinner. She just, oh, even in the back in the first scene, she brings home food every night. Usually it's the chicken. Usually it's the fucking chicken, as Grandpa Hoover would say. <laughs> but Olive's basically been relegated to Grandpa's responsibility. And he gets distracted, and everyone else just is like, oh, where'd she go? Yeah, you get the sense through this whole movie that Olive has been raised by two things, a combination of TV and Grandpa. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, nobody pays attention to this little girl. And again, she's the most enthusiastic, happy, bubbly little little kid ever, and you love her. But yeah, it's clear she gets no attention whatsoever. And we're going to get a nice scene here where the family turns in for the night at a motel. They go to this uh, little uh, middle-of-nowhere Arizona motel and turn in for the night and and tomorrow's the big performance, so they have to get a good night's sleep. And we we uh, cut to one room. It's Frank and Dwayne, and they're just sitting there in silence listening to the parents fighting in the next room. And then in the third room, we have Olive and Grandpa. And this is one of the best scenes in the movie and probably the scene that won Alan Arkin, the uh, best supporting actor, where... You know, it's the grandpa and the little girl, and he's teaching her. And all you see is he's teaching her, like, how to hiss and growl like a tiger or something. <laughs> yeah, he says, you're the world champion growler. <laughs> yeah, so so we see that, and then we, we have a little conversation where Olive's scared because tomorrow is the big performance, and she doesn't know if she's really up for this because she's competing in, like, the big time at this point. But Olive even tells grandpa, like, a nice little scene. She's like, grandpa, am I pretty? And Grandpa, I mean, she's got this really kind of sad look in her eyes. This is where Abigail Breslin absolutely shines here, and the Grandpa comes over, and, you know, he's all he's a comic relief character throughout this movie, but here he's deadly serious. He's like, Olive, you're the most beautiful girl in the whole world, inside and out. And then she says the line that really just breaks your heart when you just, you can feel what her life has been like in this family and with this father just needling her, nitpicking her her whole life, where she says, Grandpa, I don't want to be a loser. Uh, it's just... 
Richard is an asshole. <laughs> Sorry. He is. He's terrible. You can see, that's the thing. They don't have to spell it out. You can see all the pain in little Olive's eyes. And Grandpa, of course, is right there and he says, uh, or she even says, I don't want to be a loser. Daddy hates losers. And Grandpa's like, you know, if you try, you're not a loser. We can tell them all to go to hell. Get out there, do your best, and do... Th so, again, he's the one guy that's always believed in Olive and just wants her to be herself and have fun. And, again, his whole theory on life is just do whatever you want and to hell with everybody else. And he's kind of trying to impart that to her. And this will... Uh, this is a very poignant scene, and it's a very touching scene. I think a lot of people might forget this one's in the movie because the movie will go uh, very dark very quickly here. Well, the, the interesting thing about that scene is that, like, uh, one scene prior, like after the mini art, before the motel, there's a little scene tucked in there where Edwin, you know, comes up to the front seat and talks to Richard and says basically the same thing that he says to Olive in that, you know, he's like, you really put yourself out there. You really tried. And that's not something most people do. And I'm proud of you. And Richard just blows it off pretty much. It, <sighs> But again, you can see Grandpa is the one that really is the only one who has the right perspective in this family. <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I should point out that he, he's not that correct since he's about to die of heroin overdose. But for the most part, he's, his heart's in the right place. I mean, he, he knew that was going to happen pretty much. I don't think he knew it was going to happen that night, but he was like, ah, I don't care. Okay, two, yeah, one quick scene here before we get to the last part of this movie where, you know, the, the family's in a motel and they're just struggling and it's, everyone's in a bad mood and, and the dad is just infuriated that Stan Grossman would dare to not pick up his nine-step program and not market it and not want to sell it. So he decides to, he borrows a moped from like some moped thugs in the parking lot or something. I think they're at a bar. I think there's like a little bar in the side of the motel. <laughs> Yeah, so he borrows a moped, and he steams on down to Scottsdale, which is where uh, Stan Grossman is at the, uh, what is the expo here he's at? The uh... Oh, it's the Dynamic Strategies Expo. They Apparently, like, they, they submitted about, like, 40 names for this expo, but they were all copyrighted. Like, they came up with the most ridiculous things they could think of, and it's like, nope, copyright, copyright, copyright. And eventually, they finally hit on Dynamic Strategies Expo, which doesn't mean anything but it doesn't have a copyright so it worked <laughs> so this is like a convention of all the nine-step program and self-help gurus in the country all in one place which has to be the most intolerable insufferable collection of people ever yeah that sounds uh awful it sounds awful <laughs> so so the dad runs down there and confronts we finally see stan grossman as you said he's not really unseen but and they have a confrontation, and basically Grossman says, well, there's nothing wrong with the nine-step program, Richard. It's just you. Nobody's heard of you. You can't do, you can't be a motivational speaker if nobody knows, knows who the hell you are and you've never accomplished anything. And he basically says the one thing that just infuriates Richard, where Stan says, you're not going to win on this one. Oh, Dad. Oh, that pisses him off, because Richard is a winner. He wins at everything. Yeah, Richard's first response is, hey, you know, okay, what's the next step? And he's like, there, Stan Grossman's like, there, there's no next step. You lost. It's done. Yeah. And, and Richard's response is to, like, stomp off like a child and go, you're out of it. I don't know <laughs> if you've watched uh, the most the recent seasons of Arrested Development, but it's very, very reminiscent of season four, Michael, going, you're out of the movie and tearing up the paperwork over and over again. <laughs> That's the thing that comes to mind when I've watched it recently. <laughs> you can't fire me. I'm firing you. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so the nine-step program is dead. Everything's gone. The family has nothing really to hope for. It's just chaos, and the dad goes back and just... Again, the only reason they're on this trip at this point is for Olive's stupid pageants, and they don't even know what she's doing. They don't even pay attention. And then the next morning, you know, things are going to go from bad to worse, where Olive kind of walks in their their hotel room, and she goes, um, Mom, Dad, Grandpa didn't wake up. And, oh, here we go. Now it, it took a sudden dark turn. Grandpa has died. Yeah, he just pieces out of the movie about what halfway through which <laughs> makes it even more incredible that alan arkin won best supporting actor for that one but like he, he literally he's in half the movie less than half the movie maybe yeah he steals every scene he's in and again he will his influence will be felt at the end of the movie but yeah you're right he's gone out of the movie and now we're in the hospital and they're in this hospital in arizona and they have to fill out all these forms about uh you know an out-of-state death which is a big deal. It's I not to darken the podcast too much, but I had an experience a couple of years ago where my dad was in Arizona. He died. We had to get him back to Washington, and, and it indeed is a lot of paperwork, and you're moving heaven and earth to get this thing to happen. So, I this is a a very a well-known phenomenon. The out-of-state death does lead to a whole lot of headache for many people. So that's what you see with the Hoovers in the movie that. They, they have this corpse of their grandfather in their car, and they have to drive to, to uh, California, and they have like a, a bereavement liaison or something, I think her name is. Yeah, she's a bereavement liaison, and she starts, you know, starts off by being very, you know, comforting and warm, and then hands him all of the forms, and he starts arguing with her, and she shouts something like, you're not the only one that's had somebody to die here today, sir. But But even before that, like, in the waiting room for a second, like uh, there's a little scene where Cheryl is really trying to reassure Olive and Dwayne and everybody, and really mostly herself, it seems like. But th- there's a little tiny thing. There's, there's a little thing here that I really uh, enjoy that, you know, Cheryl breaks down crying. Dwayne, you know, writes a little note down, taps Olive, and it just says, Go hug mom. He's like, he knows exactly what his mom needs, but he's not the one who's going to do it. He knows that Olive is the best choice for the job here. Yeah. She goes over and hugs her and then, you know, lead into what you were saying. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. Don't apologize. It's a sign of weakness. I guess I should be sorry for that one, too, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So their g- beloved grandfather has died in an out-of-state hospital, and the bereavement liaison will not let them take the body, and she won't let them leave the body. Basically, they have to take care of it right now. So in befitting a what it would be a known, known as a very dark comedy, they take the body and they flee the hospital. They basically pack up Grandpa, and they shove him in the back. They throw him out a window. They It's a weekend at Bernie's uh, subplot here. They move him out the window. They load him up into the van. They push start the van and flee the uh the uh, hospital and at this point it's like uh we go clark griswold in vacation here where you know screw this this is all over we're not doing this anymore it's too much of a hassle and and i forget who's the one that really talks them into doing is the dad the dad's the one that says you know we know we need to keep going for olive like i know it's been a hassle who is it who's the one that really pep talks them richard pep talks a lot richard's like uh the, the, the one thing that that grandpa would really want right now is for olive to compete in this pageant and i'm not gonna let them take this away from us and then you can see the look of total shock on his face when cheryl is like you know what you're right you're <laughs> right i will back you up on this and so like olive is the lookout and they and uh richard and cheryl pass the body out to Dwayne and Frank through the window and it's 
the whole mess. <laughs> it's a caper. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. It is, in fact, a caper. Yeah, so they get Grandpa's corpse loaded up into the back of their van, and they're just, you know, hell-bent. We're going to make it to California. we got to be there by 3 o'clock today, and it's, you know, anybody who knows from Scottsdale to Redondo, that you're going through some pretty heavy traffic areas, so they have to start busting it. And this is where we get my wife's favorite scene in this movie, or at least one of hers, where... <laughs> they're entering California and they're just racing to get to this beauty pageant as fast as they can and uh, and Richard gets cut off by a car and in his anger he slams down his hand on the the, the, the horn on his VW bus the steering wheel and the horn goes off but somehow he gets, gets stuck where the horn is always on no matter what he's doing and he can't get the horn to stop so all of a sudden now not only does their van have to be push started not only do they have a corpse in the back seat not only do they have a suicidal uncle in the middle seat and a son taking a vow of silence now they have a van making the most pathetic honking noise at all times where it won't shut off where it's like it's actually worse than if it wouldn't shut off because it does stop sometimes and there's like those brief moments of oh there's nothing and then it's like nope there it is again over and over and over and there's a scene later on that i want to talk about with that actually is this the cop scene no but the cop scene is the one that's next but i'll you should go with that one Okay, so yeah, so the VW bus is now just the most annoying, again, to quote Dumb and Dumber, we want to hear the most annoying sound in the world, listen to the van in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So they're driving down the street and everyone's mad at him because he appears to be honking and Richard's like mouthing to the drivers, I'm not doing that, I'm not honking the horn, and then they get pulled over by this cop, this cop sees them honking and struggling with the wheel and he pulls them over and this is another... Again, this movie is just snowballing now into chaos and chaos and horrible things happening. And now the cop pulls him over and and uh, it's just a very, very awkward scene where Richard comes out of the car and the cop's standing there. And Richard immediately says the one thing you don't say to a cop, which is don't look in the trunk. There's nothing illegal. Yeah. Oh, nothing illegal. Don't look back there. And the cop's like, well, you just gave me probable cause to search your trunk. <laughs> so... Oh, I will let you. You can you I will, you can do justice to this one. What happens when the cop goes to the back? <laughs> well, uh, before the cop even gets there, Richard says, you know, I think I believe he says something like everyone just act normal. Nothing is weird here. Nothing. <laughs> cop pops the trunk open. The magazines that were just in the bag that they just like put on top of grandpa at some point just the porn mags the porn mags flop to the ground and richard can't see this only the cop can see what's going on right now and the cop's just like oh that's what's going on back here and eventually he calls richard back there and you can see richard through this whole scene where the cop is talking to him about how much he loves these specific porno mags richard slowly inching his way in front of the open trunk to prevent any sort of view of the heap of blankets that still contains his father's body (laughs) and then you know the cop is flipping through them going oh i really like this one this one's real good this one's real good and then uh he gets two uh buns and ammo that they gave porn magazine that frank picked out for himself and Richard says something like, it's a little bit of a different taste. <laughs> it's a little different choice. <laughs> <laughs> and the look of disgust on the cop's face. And then I think Richard just 
goes off of it and like makes this face like he's hitting on the cop. <laughs> yes. And the cop is like, "Okay, you can go. Bye. I'm out of here." <laughs> yeah. It's such a great scene and so awkward and just the, the cop, like literally the cop is thumbing through these porn magazines that were bought earlier in the movie by Grandpa. And the cop is like getting off to them. You can hear him like purring, like, oh, oh yeah, oh, that's the that's the sweetness right there. <laughs> so, again, the cop never notices the corpse that's right under the porn magazines because he's been spooked off by buns and ammo and Richard hitting on him. And so the family somehow avoids disaster that they've escaped. They didn't get pulled over. They didn't get caught with a dead body in the car and they flee down the highway. <laughs> and is this is this the horn scene you're talking about here? Uh, we're at the eye test. No, I don't think we're at the we're at the eye test scene. And, and that is that is what I'm talking about. Yeah. OK, I'll race through this one because I want to get to the ending here. Um, so they're almost to Redondo Beach. They're probably going very similar to where I live. I live out in the Inland Empire in California, right on I-10. I so they're driving right by my house here in in uh, the Inland Empire. And uh, at some point, uh, Olive is doing a little eye test with her brother, just you know, just something she probably had in a magazine. And she's all of a sudden she she discovers that her brother, who wants to be a fighter pilot, is colorblind. She picks up the she picks up the eye tests in the um in the hospital oh okay she picks up the eye test in the hospital she's actually asking if anyone wants to do an eye test back in the hospital okay i didn't catch that that's good to know mm-hmm. yeah so so all of a sudden we learn as we're half an hour 45 minutes from the pageant that the son who has wanted nothing to do in his life but join the air force and be a fighter pilot is colorblind and we learn right then that if you know if you're colorblind, you're not allowed to be a pilot. And this is one of the more uh, jarring scenes in the movie, where the son, who has taken a vow of silence for nine months to be a fighter pilot, just basically erupts in the back seat, starts pounding his fist and screaming. And yeah, he doesn't he doesn't scream anything. It, 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 he doesn't scream in the van. He just pounds the walls and kicks the walls. And Frank is like, "We need to pull over right now." No idea what's going on. And then you know. Dwayne races out of the car after they've pulled over into an open field and yells his first word of the movie. And what's that word, Mario? Fuck! <laughs> Not about three more after that, I think. Yeah, there's a god in there. Yeah, he basically curses. It's the first word he has said in nine months, and it's the profanity, the swearing, He's all this rage and anger. And again, Paul Dano is a very good actor, and it's just impressive to see just him unleash all this rage he's been pent up and he goes and sits in a field and then his family's like what's wrong why is he sitting over there and then he stands up and starts cursing at them like i hate all of you you're all losers you're divorced and you're in you run a nine-step program when you're bankrupt and you're all idiots and i hate you try to kill yourself you're losers i want nothing to do with you And he just goes off and it's just this big poignant moment where all his rage that all this turmoil around him in his life finally comes out and it's a very very good performance here by a, a guy who's done lots of good movies paul dano oh it, it's perfect and then you get cheryl going down there to try and comfort him and he's like no just leave me here just leave me here i don't want to go whatever just, I, just leave me i don't want any part of this and then in a really surprising moment richard actually realizes the solution here which is to just ask olive to go and talk to him and olive goes down there and just gives Dwayne a hug and Dwayne is just like okay okay i'm coming and helps her back up the hill 
Yeah. And he comes up and apologizes. I, I was upset. I didn't mean what I said. And they, it was like his one moment. And from here on out, everyone's kind of in this together now. It's just, all right, all we have left is let's go to this pageant. Let's have Olive have her little moments. And then we'll kind of put the pieces together when we get home. And it's kind of a, it's a sad moment, but it doesn't last too long because we're about to get to the pageant, which I would say, here we go. One of the greatest scenes in movie history coming up here. <laughs> There's that one, but. Before, like, like, there's a whole lot of great scenes at the pageant, including just getting off of the highway and trying to get there, where Richard swerves through a parking lot, goes over a chain, goes on a walkway next to the water, does another, like, 180 turn, and then parks over six spaces, and the back, the back door of the VW bus just falls off, and they're rushed to get out. Yeah, they they come screaming into town, into Redondo Beach. They've been told they have to be here at 3 o'clock for the pageant, and they they get lost on the expressway. They can't figure out where to go. And I will point out as a Southern California native that the freeway goes nowhere near Redondo Beach. So (laughs) I had to look it up for my California brethren that this scene was actually filmed in Ventura, not Redondo. So that, Ah. yeah, Redondo, it's it's way off in the middle of nowhere. You can't get to it from the freeway. you got to take surface streets. But, uh, yeah, so they get there, and they rush, and Steve Carell jumps out of the van, and, and he comes running into the pageant to try to register Olive, and he's got this great run. I love Steve Carell's run. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a great run. <laughs> it's like he doesn't just have one stick up his butt. He's got, like, four sticks up his butt. He's so <laughs> ramrod straight when he's running. It's the weirdest thing. And he, like, scrunches himself up to get through the sliding doors just a little bit sooner. Yeah. So... Steve Carell runs inside, and he goes up to the registration desk, and it turns out that they were supposed to be here at 3, and it's like 3.04, and the snooty lady at the desk is like, well, I'm sorry, but if I let you register, that's not fair to the other pageant contestants. And they're like, we, we drove all the way from Albuquerque. You, don't, you have no idea what's happened to us. And she's like, well, that didn't make you – that doesn't mean you didn't, you didn't have to get here by 3 o'clock. And so she's just really snotty. And again, these pageant people are just all assholes in this movie, and – Finally, they find this uh, assistant. What is the assistant's name? I forget. Kirby. Kirby. Yeah. So Kirby is sympathetic. He's like, well, all I have to do is put her in the computer. It's not that hard. And so the snooty lady at the desk is like, well, fine. Well, go ahead. I have to go to a hair fitting. And so Olive gets registered for Little Miss Sunshine and say, yay, we're all excited. And and this is where we get the, the slap in the face of reality here where Olive starts looking around and realizes this might be a little more than I'm used to when she sees all these beautiful girls. And they all have like perfect makeup and hair and they have like like a, a whole team of beauticians around each kid. And like, you know, I'm just some girl from Albuquerque who got lucky and won. Oh, this might not be what I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, like all and all of these pageant girls every single one of them and all of this equipment isn't like in the budget or anything it's just what actual pageant i was gonna say pageant parents but i'm just gonna say pageant moms uh (laughs) brought along when they brought you know their daughters to be extras well not extras in this movie but maybe it is extras i don't know their daughters are stars thank you very much That's fair. They they brought their daughters, the true stars of Little Miss Sunshine, uh, and they just brought all of their equipment and did their usual pageant prep for them. And so that's just it's really gross just to think that this is all just real stuff. Yeah, I have never been a part of the pageant culture. My daughter would have nothing to do with this. She hates crap like this. But yeah, it's a 
anybody who's never been a a part of the pageant scene, which I'm hoping is most of my listeners, I'd be shocked if I had a lot of pageant parents listening. <laughs> but yeah, it's the it's the weirdest, creepiest little thing where the girls are just like sexualized and dressed up. You have like little eight year olds in full on makeup and bikinis and stuff and doing sexy little poses. And yeah, it's just a weird, creepy vibe, and that's the thing that the Hoovers get as they're finally thrust into this world of professional beauty pageants that, you know, we don't really fit in here. They're looking around, and like, these people have been doing this their entire lives. They probably travel around the world doing these things, and we're just some schmucks that drove in from New Mexico. So yeah, it's a very interesting fish-out-of-water sequence here. I think it's really well-punctuated with, uh, like, the introduction of one of, like, the the few really nice characters in the movie, which mm. is just uh, Miss California. Yes. Because Olive goes and gets an autograph from Miss California, and uh, Miss and Miss California is like, uh, Miss California says, oh, what do you do for your talent? And Olive's like, I dance. And she's so proud of herself. And Miss California is like, oh, dancing is too hard for me. And you, that's the moment where you're just like, this is a really nice woman. Like, she's clearly just like, Oh, she's just being really kind to this little girl, and then Olive asks her if she likes ice cream, and she has a, and Miss California gives a really detailed answer, and Olive is just ecstatic because she can eat ice cream and still be a beauty queen. Yeah, it's a it's a nice moment, and you can just kind of see in Miss California's eyes that she sees this little girl, and she sees back when she was this age, going through all these pageants and the the hell that this stuff re- wreaks on these poor little girls, all the confidence issues and stuff. So it's a really nice scene, and we will get a nice moment from Miss California later during the talent performance as well. Yeah, it's the, it's the one bit of validation that Olive has had that maybe this is going to work out, that I can actually eat ice cream and I can maybe be a beauty pageant queen. So, yeah, it's a nice scene. And this is where, again, I, I, I just have to keep repeating this. We have not seen what Olive's act is at the pageant at any point. No one has even asked. No one has any idea what she's going to do. And this is where we get the little hint where one of the uh, Kirby comes over and asks her for her music, for her talent performance, and he gives her you know, the, or Olive gives him the CD and he looks at it. He's like, really, this is your music. And she's like, Oh, my grandpa picked it out. She's like, okay. (laughs) Okay. So, so there's a quick subplot here where the dad rushes the grandpa's body over to a local funeral home and they get that taken care of. And then, uh, Frank and Dwayne go out at the pier and just talk about life. And they have a nice little bonding moment. And we'll get back to that in a second, but here we go. The pageant's going to start. And again, right from the start, it's clear. Olive has no business being here. She's not like perfect and pretty like these other girls. She just looks like a normal little happy kid. And it's, it's re- evident right from the start. All these pageant moms are there. All their daughters are like su- hyper sexualized, made up huge hair, just full-on bronze tanning just the weirdest thing and again olive has no business and you think you think you know where this movie is going to go that it's going to go one of two ways that either olive is humiliated and learns that she was a loser and did not belong here or she's going to pull off this amazing performance and win the competition those are the two places this movie could go but it does not go either of those two places that's the best thing about it (laughs) the you're talking about how you know all the little girls being sexualized is super creepy and it is absolutely super creepy but the creepiest thing about this scene about any of these pageant scenes is none of the little girls it is that host oh yeah it is that host uh at one point leaning down singing america america in like the little girl's ears and like looking at each of them and it's 
it, it's very uncomfortable. And then he gets to Olive at the end of the line, and she pretty much gives you the audience surrogate uh, face there, where she just is like trying to smile, but is clearly creeped out, and her <laughs> eyes just keep flickering between him and the audience, like, someone save me. <laughs> Help. Help. Yeah, Olive way over her head at this point, the creepy leering MC just sees all these girls made up, and then we go through the talent competition, and they're like professional dancers, professional singers, and like, and all along you can kind of see the parents thinking, you know, Olive might not do too well against some of these kids, and it's going to be get this build up and build up, and now we're going to get to the end of the movie here, where I will argue one of the greatest endings to a movie I've ever seen, and we're going to start with the, the peer scene with uh, Frank and Dwayne. Yeah, where they talk about. Yeah, run us run us through that and how that leads up to the ending here. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you the the next scene. I think you can do, do more justice to it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but on the pier, uh, Dwayne and uh, Frank are talking, and Dwayne's just lost his job. He lost his dream of going to flight school and everything. And uh, Frank has even more recently than anything else seen like a. A newspaper ad for his for Larry Sugarman, the number one Proust scholar in America, <laughs> and they have this long talk about how, uh, like, like Dwayne Dwayne says that he wishes he could just skip high school, and uh, Frank talks about how Proust said a lot of things about how um, suffering is really the thing that shapes you as a person. And, you know, happiness is only there because of suffering. And you can't skip high school because those are your prime suffering years. Yeah, and Dwayne, uh, and Dwayne comes to a realization here where he just sees all you. I've been told you have to suffer in life. You have to do all this. You, you must go through the painful years to become who you are. And he kind of learns a little lesson there. And this is where Dwayne kind of comes to a realization where he's like, you know, fuck this beauty pageant. This is the stupidest thing ever. Like, Life is a beauty pageant. Why do we have to go through this and just be judged by other people? Why can't we just be who we are? And this is where Frank and Dwayne suddenly kind of make a realization here. Like, we can't let Olive go through this pageant. They're going to go laugh at her. They're so worried. Yeah, it's it's one thing for us to be judged in life and to have to suffer, but she's a 10-year-old kid. Her dreams have never been crushed. Like, she's got this enthusiasm about life and how the world works and how beauty works, and she just wants to be a, a beauty queen. That's all she wants to do, and they're like, she's going to go get embarrassed right now in this competition. So they run back, and this is this frantic scene where they run backstage and Dwayne tries to talk Olive out of going out there and doing her performance because she's going to get laughed at and the mom and the dad have kind of come to the same realization having watching, having been watching all this and they're like you know Olive you don't have to do this if you don't want to because they're concerned as well that she's the one person in this family who's you know the hope hasn't been sucked out of her soul and they're worried that she's going to be crushed right now so it's this great scene where all they're all like uh you know, Olive's going to get judged. We can't let her do this. But Olive still wants to do it. She still wants to go out there and make her grandfather proud and make do this performance that he has been working with her so diligently over the years. And uh, this is where they come to the realization. I think the line is, we just have to let Olive be Olive. Yep, that's exactly what Cheryl says. We just have to let Olive be Olive. And the thing is that this whole argument uh, between uh, Dwayne and Richard and Cheryl about not letting her go out there and get embarrassed is done about five feet behind Olive. And nobody's, again, nobody's paying attention to Olive. And Olive definitely hears all of it. And ugh, you can see it on her face at the end of the scene that 
like she heard it and she's she thinks she's gonna lose yeah you can see olive olive knows her family probably doesn't believe in her but they want her just to go out there and have fun and and again this is as I've said before, I am super jealous of people who have never seen this movie before because this scene right here is about the most unexpected thing I have ever seen in a movie. There's no way to prepare for it because, like you said, you expect one of two things to happen, that she's amazing and she wins the performance and she becomes Little Miss Sunshine, or she gets humiliated and laughs off the, laughed off the stage and it's this big life lesson. And here we go. Here's the scene that will forever be associated with Little Miss Sunshine and really the reason I'm doing it on Staff Picks. Even if this movie won 50 Oscars and everybody knew it, I would still do it on Staff Picks just because I want to describe the scene to you. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, may I? May I? May you grant your permission for me to walk them through the finale here? Oh, oh, please. How, how, how about how about I walk you straight up to it? Uh, the uh, you have the uh, Olive takes the hand of the you know pageant worker that says it's time to go. She go. She puts a, the number on her clothes, takes her hand, and follows her off. Meanwhile, the family runs off so that they can get in the audience and watch. And then, take it away, Mario. <laughs> now the magic happens. Okay, so Olive walks out, and she's real awkward. She's got like a, again, she's kind of a chunky little kid. She's got a, a like a tuxedo on and a top hat and a little red tie. It doesn't look anything like the sexy costumes the other girls have been wearing. And she's kind of, you know, waddles out to the middle of the stage, and the MC kind of grabs her by the hand and says, oh, hi, little girl, or uh, what are you going to do for us or something? And she says she's going to dance, and then she says, uh, I'm going to dedicate this performance to my grandfather. He taught me these moves. And the MC's like, Oh, well, that's the sweetest thing I've ever I've ever heard. Where is your grandfather now? And she's like, in the trunk of our car. <laughs> okay. And here we go again. Again, I really hope you have watched this movie before you've seen this podcast or listened to this podcast because I don't want to be the first person to let you experience this. But here we go. So Olive's dance, her performance starts, her music kicks in, and immediately it is uh, Super Freak by Rick James. <laughs> and she immediately turns around and points her ass at the crowd and starts slapping her ass like a stripper. <laughs> and it's just, you watch the audience just stunned, like, what the hell is this? Because again, we've had no idea what her performance is. We've never seen it the whole movie. And she starts doing this little strip tease, and then she walks up to the front, and she pulls off her pants. She's got stripper pants on. <laughs> and so super freak is playing she rips off her stripper pants whips them around like a strike a trained stripper and throws them into the crowd as if someone would like that as if she's like a professional striptease artist and, and this is where we see other girls and parents in the audience just aghast they're like oh my god yeah they even start walking out some of them boo her and some of them walk out they start walking out, and this is where we get this whole scene of people not sticking up for each other, not bonding. People start walking out on Olive's performance, and her Uncle Frank says, Those fuckers, I will kill them. Because <laughs> they're just booing and booing. <laughs> they're booing, and, and Olive has the biggest smile on her face because this is what she's always wanted to do. And again, she she's doing by far the most sexualized performance, but it's not like in the way she does it. Cause she's just a little kid having fun. These are just moves. Her grandfather taught her. She has no idea why people are booing her. She's just smiling and grinning. And then at one point she walks up and she pulls her shirt and she rips it open. And you see it from behind as she basically exposes what you think <laughs> is her chest to the audience. <laughs> and the dad, Richard's like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> 
and I should point out, I've heard people criticize this movie that it glorifies a little girl giving a strip tease, but I should point out, at the end of the scene where Olive is stripped off all her clothes, she still has more clothes on than anybody else in the performance. I, well, everyone but one. I think the yodeler might have had more clothes. But... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Olive's just doing her bump and grind and strip tease, and she's got the biggest grin on her face because she's having fun, and everyone's horrified because they're like, oh my god, someone would dare introduce this kind of filth into the beauty pageant. Meanwhile, that's the joke, that this whole thing is just shit to start with. And she's and the grandfather probably was trying to make a point, like, well, if we're going to treat these girls like little strippers, I'll just have my, my girl go out there and strip for you. And so over the side, you see Miss California, the one nice one, just kind of jump dancing around with the song. She thinks this is funny. But all the other all the other pageant moms are horrified and they're trying to drag uh, Olive off the stage. At this point now, they decide, OK, this is too far. Olive is up there now. What is she crawling on all fours and like <laughs> growling like a tiger? She's growling. <laughs> and again, I can't overemphasize enough how awesome it is that Super Freak is playing this whole time as she's stripping for everybody. So, yeah, so now the. The lady in charge of the pageant walks up to the dad. She's like, what is your daughter doing? And he's like, she's kicking ass. That's what she's doing. <laughs> and this is where it all kind of comes to a head where all the adults run on stage and try to chase Olive off. They're like, you can't strip here. This is inappropriate. Absolutely not. And she's running away from him. So they send her dad. They're like, go up on the stage. Tell your daughter to stop dancing. And the dad goes up there and he's supposed to drag Olive off the stage. But... You know, all this, all the rage and pain and all the the crap that life has dumped on his head all kind of comes to a head at once. And instead of dragging Olive off the stage, he decides, I'm going to join her. So now he starts doing his little bump and grind with her. <laughs> and yeah, so here come all the Hoovers. Here comes Uncle Frank, Steve Carell, doing his little sexy dance, walking on the stage, staring at the pageant conductors, just like defiantly, like, watch me, I'm going to do a strip dance too. And then Dwayne pops up there and... Dwayne does a great move where he points to Miss California and starts bumping and grinding his hips like he's doing pelvic thrusts at her. <laughs> Just one of the great scenes of chaos in a movie you're absolutely not ready for. And through it and through it all, in the middle, is little Olive having the time of her life doing the, the innocent little dance that her grandfather taught her. Just doing the moves as a tribute to her grandfather, probably not having any idea that she's basically a stripper. There's no way she has any idea. Even when she she throws her tie at the pageant coordinator, and she just recoils from it. And at the end of her performance, you get the biker dude who was sitting next to Richard cheering, and Kirby, and that's it. There's two yeah. people cheering. <laughs> And again, there's no way to prepare for that scene if you've never seen it before. And it really just brings down the house. And I I personally did not see Little Miss Sunshine in the theater. And I'm so jealous of people who did and got to walk into this and experience that in a crowd. Because I can just imagine the crowd erupting at just the Hoovers basically giving the middle finger to every one of these snooty pageant moms. It's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> there's there's one interesting thing about that uh, that, that, that scene there. And that's that they're not actually dancing to Super Freak. Hmm. The song that they're dancing to is Peach by Prince. And then they just had to try to cut it together. And they were like, this is not working. This is not working. And eventually they threw Super Freak in. And it was just like, oh, okay, that's, that's it. That's perfection right there. I did not know that. That's good trivia. So, so they, okay, so when they were dancing, that was a whole different song. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but it's just again, like I said, I'm I'm so jealous of people who have never seen Little Miss Sunshine because you're gonna have that moment where you see this movie and you see this scene and you're gonna laugh so hard because there's no way to prepare for it. There's no way you do not see that coming. And again, even all the hints were there. You notice that Grandpa maybe wasn't the best influence and maybe Grandpa just wanted to tell everybody to go fuck themselves. And this was maybe Grandpa's little statement about pageants and he's been teaching all of all this stuff and it was just a sad day that Grandpa could not be there for the great reveal oh he doesn't even get to stay in their trunk for it yeah (laughs) so at the end of the movie olive and the family has basically been banned from all pageants in the state of california they are they are they will they will not be thrown in jail but the the uh asterisk is you must leave the state immediately and never come back here ever again and they're like yeah we're cool with that (laughs) <laughs> and so here they go. They drive off. They push start their car and they drive off back to Albuquerque. Hopefully a happier, friendlier family with admittedly there's many pieces that will have to be put together. But they had their moment. They had their fun. Olive got her little performance. She got to pay tribute to her grandfather. And the rest of them know, well, also we got to give the middle finger to the entire pageant industry of Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the movie. They got their they got their bonding moment. They got their they got their one big okay, maybe we can get through this moment at the end just supporting Olive and realizing that she's actually kind of the constant for them. Yeah. She's the one good thing in their life and they they cannot let the hope and the 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 uh enthusiasm drain out of her eyes. We must protect Olive and just let's all rally around her and become a family and again, even though we hate each other, even though we have issues, we're still a family and we must bond together and it's surprisingly touching in a very twisted odd way at the end. <laughs> There's a few uh alternate endings that they shot and I I watched through them. And the first one was just like them sitting, you know, in a roadside just talking about Grandpa, and they just immediately threw it out. They didn't even get through filming. They just threw it out. They were like, this isn't good. No. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I, my personal favorite is the one that, that, that just apparently Abigail Breslin was like, what if we did this at the ending? And they were like, that's good enough that we'll shoot it. Because it's, it's and it's, uh, you know, they get banned and everything. And then there's a. Uh, uh, another another you know uh, reflection of something earlier where you see Olive po- poke her head out checking to see if the coast is clear. She waves for the rest of them and the, re- the whole family follows carrying the giant trophy that they've just stolen from the pageant. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so they they filmed that but didn't use it. The stolen trophy. They filmed it but did not use it. Yeah. Oh wow. I really like that one, honestly, you know, with that and then them flying out. But they they were really concerned that it just meant that, like, it, it sort of emphasized winning, you know, when the whole point of it is there's not really that. Exactly. You can you cannot win, but still win at the same time. There's moral victories in life. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, again, just one of these movies that's such a it was such a huge hit at the time. And it was like the talk of the 2000. I guess seven Oscars because this came out in 2006. And it was one of those, it was a big populist hit. And again, it was the center of like American pop culture. Everyone knew this movie. And then it just kind of disappeared for a while where I don't really hear many people talking about it. And, you know, by damn, I'm not going to let that happen. People need to talk about this movie. This is absolutely one of the best movies of the 2000s I've seen. And I really can't picture anyone who wouldn't like this movie. It's such a fun little uh, uh, family bonding story. And I, again, Again, in kind of a twisted way, but still, 
I, it's funny, I read these reviews of moms that rented it for their little kids and were horrified how vulgar it was, but other than that, I cannot imagine anybody would not like this movie. And then it lost to The Departed for Best Picture. Yeah, I know. That's... <sighs> Yeah, I, I'm right there with you on that one. I didn't like The Departed. This is so much more of a fun movie, and I appreciated that they had to uh, give the Lifetime Achievement Award to Scorsese, but this is the movie I think that everyone talks about from that year. This is an awesome movie. This is a really great movie, and there's there's a really interesting thing. that You know, uh, you know both Abig- Abigail Breslin and Alan Arkin get nominated for supporting, but none of the other four got nominated for uh, you know a lead actor or actress role. But uh, at, at, I don't remember what it was, like the Screen Actors Guild Awards or something, where they give an award for Best Ensemble. They got that one. And I was just like, that, that's the first time I was like, there's really not a category at the Oscars for this kind of thing, because none of them are the lead. It's, they're all supporting actors, it feels like to me. Yeah, and again, even Alan Arkin winning seems kind of weird, because he's barely in the movie. And I, I would agree with you. This is, it's really more an ensemble movie than anything. Absolutely. All right, uh, anything else you wanted to say before we wrapped up here about Little Miss Sunshine and uh, Super Freak? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I think I've said a lot about it. <laughs> no, yeah, I think you came on here, you did a good job, and you were indeed a winner. So you followed the nine steps, at least seven out of the nine steps, and I'm very proud of you. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mario. I, I really, really appreciate it. All right, and as always, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you want to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time I talk to you, I will be out there searching for more underrated, underloved, and underappreciated movies, and I will find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Until next time, remember, be a winner. Don't be a loser. Losers suck. Bye. What's that, chicken? Every night is the fucking chicken. Dad. Holy God almighty. Is it possible just once Dad. we could get something to eat for dinner around here that's not the goddamn hey. fucking chicken? Hey.